Well, good morning. Um, we're in the middle of a seven-week series on the values of our church because Christ Church turns five years old on Easter Sunday. And so we're taking a little bit of time to celebrate and, again, sort of rediscover what we're all about here at Christ Church. And what we said each week is that church values define church culture. Church values define church culture. That's true in churches, and that's true really in all different kinds of organizations. I just finished a book this week called Bad Blood. It's about uh, the story of Theranos, which was this business that some of you might have heard of, a Silicon Valley startup that had promised to revolutionize the way that blood draws were taken in the medical industry. The CEO and founder of this organization was a young woman who had dropped out of Stanford named Elizabeth Holmes. And in the early part of this decade, this organization had just taken off to the point where it was valued at one point at about $9 billion. The reputation that Theranos had to outsiders and even to investors was sterling. It was seen as sort of the new apple in many ways. And yet, in the last three or four years, the company has completely fallen apart. And it fell apart because one journalist from the Wall Street Journal wrote a, a penetrating story about how basically Theranos was completely full of it. They had basically lied about the depth and status of their technology and that they were unable to do what they had promised to do. And right now, Elizabeth Holmes and some of the other lead people at Theranos face criminal charges for lying to the public. And when this book was released, this book that I just read, one of the things that I noticed about it was that this company had one outside reputation, that of a world-class healthcare company that was going to revolutionize everything. But internally, the culture of this company was toxic, to say the least. It was a culture of fear and suspicion and greed and lying and brazen arrogance. And there was a revolving door of employees. There were deep, deep issues. And eventually it all broke down. It's a really interesting book, especially if you're in the medical field. I encourage you to, uh, to read it. And one thing that that story, you're probably going to be hearing more illustrations about Theranos in the coming weeks because I found the book so interesting. But one thing that the story of Theranos tells us is that what people see on the outside might not be the same about what the culture is really like in a given organization, and in a given church. That's true in just about any gathering of people, but that what, a cult, what an organization values, what an organization says they want to be about, defines what the culture is. And that's why we're spending time on our values here at Christ Church San Antonio, because these are the things that we want to define our culture. So for the past two weeks, we focused on values that have to do with how the gospel of Jesus changes the way we relate to one another. If you're here in a Christian, then you are called by God to live in loving community with other Christians. You're called by God to be committed to discipleship. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to spend time thinking about values related to how the gospel calls us to relate to the world. We've talked about how the gospel changes the way we treat one another. And now we're going to talk about how the gospel changes the way we treat those outside of our church family. And we're going to begin together by thinking this morning about the value of missional living, about being a missional church. Now, what does that mean? What is the value of missional living all about? Well, what we mean by that phrase is that every follower of Jesus Christ is a missionary, that is a part of your identity as a Christian. 
The great 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said that every Christian is either an imposter or a missionary. So to be a missional church means that we have a particular view of who we are as Christians and of what the church itself is. And here's the key. The church is not a place people go to. That's very commonly what we think in Texas and the Bible Belt, that the church is just a place people go to one out of seven days. The other six days, we're not sure what those people that work for churches do. I'm not going to tell you either. Uh, I kind of like the mystery. But the church is not a place people go to. The church, rather, according to the scripture, is a people who go. The church is a sent people. One of my theological heroes, a man named Harvey Kahn, used to say that the church is the only organization on earth that exists for the sake of its non-members. The British missionary, Leslie Newbigin, put it like this. Here's what he writes. The church is nothing other than the movement launched into the public life of the world by its sovereign Lord to continue that which he came to do until it is finished in his return to glory. And so the best way and the way we want you to view mission at our church is not as just one of many different programs that we offer. We don't have like a children's department and a youth department and an adults department and a women's bake-off department and a missions department. Rather, everything that we do together as a family is infused or tainted by mission. There's a missional element to all of our life together. And the reason that this is the case is that the God who saves sinners is a God on a mission. God's mission is to redeem and renew this fallen world through Jesus Christ. And God is doing that by ushering in his kingdom through the work of the Holy Spirit. God's doing that by grace through his people, through us. And so to be missional is to join God in what he's already doing. And so the question I have for us this morning is, how can we inhabit as a congregation this value? How can we continue to grow in our commitment to join God in his mission? And we're going to look at these two stories in Acts just for a couple of minutes as a launch pad for our thinking about missional living and being a missional church. And here's the main idea. The gospel sends us out into mission with God as a church. The gospel sends us out with God into mission as a church. Four points for you about a missional church. First, a missional church preaches the gospel. Look at Acts 17, that passage that Tim read, the second one. By the way, you read everything you were supposed to read, Tim. You don't need to be, you can be confident up here. You did a great job. Uh, verses 16 through 34, you'll see that the Apostle Paul here, he's on his third missionary journey. He's in the city of Athens, and he's waiting for his partners, Silas and Timothy, to join him. And while he waits, you'll notice that he doesn't waste any time. Luke tells us, the author of Acts, in verse 18, that Paul was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. He's preaching Jesus and the resurrection while he's in Athens. And the story tells us that Paul receives a hearing and he's invited to speak to the Greek philosophers at this place called Mars Hill, where the Areopagus still stands today if you visit the city of Athens. And the peak of Paul's message is seen in verse 31, where Paul tells the philosophers that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So what do we learn here? Listen, the one thing that Paul focuses on all the time in his proclamation ministry, 
The one thing he focuses on as a missionary, the core of his message is the death and resurrection of this man, Jesus of Nazareth. It's the news, the news about what happened to Jesus. That's what that word that we use all the time here, gospel, means. That word means good news. It's good news about Jesus dying on a cross to atone for human rebellion against God, its maker, to suffer for our evil. It's news about what happened to Jesus after he died. He was buried, he was dead for three days, and then miraculously, miraculously, a dead man came back to life again. And his resurrection ensures that God accepts his death as a payment for our sin, His resurrection ensures that all of this world will one day be made new when Jesus Christ comes back to finish what he started. That is is the central core of Christianity. And that's what Paul focuses on in his message here in Athens and in his messages everywhere in Acts. And so what does that mean for us? A missional church follows the witness of the scripture. And the example here of Paul by focusing its message on the news about Jesus, on the gospel. Missional churches teach, preach, speak about, and live out the news of Jesus' death and resurrection and the call to faith and repentance in response to that news. So a church can do all of the other things that I'm about to talk about and mention in this sermon, but if it does not centralize the news of Jesus' death and resurrection, listen, it's not missional. And really, mission comes from, mission comes from an explosion of joy in our hearts regarding what Jesus Christ has done. Do you guys really get it? We get so lost in our churchy worlds and forget that a dead person came back to life and is never going to die again. It happened. It's well attested. We're going to talk about it in a few weeks at Easter. And God promises that Jesus, now as Lord of the world, will make anyone who believes what happened about him come to life and live forever with him. Jesus is going to end all the pain and the evil that we experience in this world and that we experience in our individual lives. Jesus is going to take away the guilt that we all know that we have. He's going to remove the shame that we all bear. Jesus is going to give us a true and perfect family with the all-powerful God of the universe as our dad, with him as our brother. Jesus is going to give us, through the ministry of his Holy Spirit, a reason for hope. Jesus is going to come back and wipe every tear from our eye. We'll live forever in a perfect new world with him. And listen, friends, all of that, if it's true, causes, it causes an explosion. It causes an internal combustion of joy. Do you know that? Do do you know and experience in your daily life, the joy that the gospel brings? Have you tasted life with the resurrected Jesus? Or are you you rejoicing in in the forgiveness and the love and the grace of God our Father to us? Are you walking with the Spirit, experiencing His love and mercy and presence? That's the power, that's the engine of mission. The gospel, a people that have been transformed by grace.
So a missional church, above all, is a church that can't help but to talk about what God has done for them in Jesus by his free grace and love towards rebels and sinners, broken people like you and like me. A missional church preaches the gospel. Second, given, given that a missional church preaches the gospel, the question then becomes how? How does that happen in 21st century San Antonio? And that's what these next three points are about. We learn again from Acts 17, secondly, that a missional church is culturally engaged. A missional church is culturally engaged. Look again at what Paul does here. He's walking through Athens, and in verse 16, Luke tells us that he saw that the city was full of idols, and his spirit was provoked. That's the word Paul uses, or Luke uses. His spirit was provoked. That means that he is angry. He's offended. And uh, he's angry and offended about the massive amount of idolatry and false worship that he sees as he walks through the city. And so here's what you have to see. At this point, Paul is at a crossroads. Paul can either get enraged or Paul can get engaged. And what does Paul do? In his angry, provoked spirit, verse 17, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So what happens here? Paul used his provocation as an engine to drive himself to cultural engagement. That's the work of missional living. That's the work of a missional church. It engages the culture with the gospel. And you see that in his actual dialogue with the Athenians, too. If you notice that as it was read in verse 28, Paul quotes from their own sources. He quotes these pagan poets in order to communicate the gospel to these Athenian philosophers. There's no question from this story and from many others that the apostle Paul saw as an essential part of his strategy of evangelism to study and engage in the culture in which he found himself. To study and engage the culture in which he found himself. And that actually follows the path of Jesus. Think about it. When Jesus was enraged by and offended by human sin, when Jesus was enraged by your sin and my sin, he did not simply just get angry and abandon us. No, what God did in Jesus is enter into our culture and bring redemption. The mission of God is about God's own perfect cultural engagement in the condescension of Jesus and the condescension of the Holy Spirit. So a missional church joining in God's mission is a church that seeks to wisely and lovingly engage a lost culture with the gospel. So the church always faces a choice in this regard, friends. And if you've been around church for a while, uh, you know this. The church always faces the choice to just get enraged, to just get enraged over the rampant sin and idolatry that we see around us and attempt to isolate ourselves from it. That's one option. By the way, side note, you realize that's impossible, right? You cannot isolate yourself fully from the culture so that its badness isn't going to affect you. I remember when we lived in Philadelphia. This isn't in the notes. That's always dangerous, but I'm telling this story anyway. When we lived in Philadelphia, uh, Marianne and I, actually, I think it was before we got married, my dad and I went out when my dad was visiting 
to go visit the Amish country a couple hours from Philadelphia. And, you know, the Amish are famous for being cloistered off from regular society. And they aren't supposed to have any sort of modern technology at all. And we were driving through these little Amish villages. And we got in the car to go from one village to the next. And we're driving down this two-lane road. And there's this little boy on a bike with his Amish hat on. Completely, completely isolated from broader culture until we got right next to him. Guess what he was doing? He had an iPhone. And he's listening to music through earbuds in his car or in, on his bike on his way from wherever, the market to wherever he was going. And that is like a little picture of how we can't really ever isolate ourselves fully from culture. And there have been periods of church history in which the church attempts to, to cloister herself off from the culture. That's one of the indelible marks of 20th century fundamentalism at its worst, by the way. There's also been entire movements within the church that are defined by attempting to cut themselves off of culture. The Amish are kind of an extreme example of that. However, a missional church is a church that doesn't become like the culture, but engages the culture wisely and winsomely with the news about Jesus. That's what Jesus means in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Think about that. A light only functions as light when it is around the dark. A light being around nothing but light isn't really a light. It's just not doing its job. A light, by definition, needs to be in the dark. And that's what the church is called to. The church is called to engage the world in which God has called us to love with wisdom, integrity, love, and compassion. There's all kinds of examples in church history of that happening. Let me just point you real briefly to a resource that I found helpful. It's a podcast called Cultivated. It's by a guy named Mike Cosper, who's a pastor at Sojourn Community Church in Louisville, Kentucky, one of our sister churches through Acts 29. And on this podcast, uh, Cosper interviews all different kinds of Christian musicians and activists that aren't like, sorry if I'm making any of you upset here, but they're not making like cruddy Christian music. They're like engaged in <laughs> real arts communities, and, uh, but they're living as Christians. And some of them are artists, and some of them are musicians, and some of them are filmmakers, and some of them are in business. It's a really, really helpful podcast to help us understand how normal people who are committed to Christ can live as salt, can live as light in the middle of the culture. So a missional church isn't seeking to isolate ourselves off from culture, but rather to redemptively participate in it, to redemptively participate in it, which is what Paul does here in Athens. So a missional church preaches the gospel. A missional church is culturally engaged. Third, a missional church contextualizes. What does that mean? That's a fancy word for the fact that a missional church preaches the gospel and engages culture in language that the people among whom the church is placed can understand in language that the people around us can understand. So we here seek to understand our context and then to make the gospel understandable and vivid to that context. And the grounds for this is that we desire to remove any barrier that people have in understanding God's love for them. We want to remove any barrier that people have on a human level in understanding God's love for them. Churches are to contextualize. Most churches don't do this well. Uh, one of my brothers 
uh, married a girl from Miami. She's a half Latino girl, half white girl, and when they go visit uh, her family in Miami over the Christmas holidays, they always go to Catholic Mass on Christmas Eve. It's like the one time a year they go to church. And uh, my brother was telling me about his most recent experience there recently, and it was a great example of poor contextualization. One reason is because half of the service was in the different, a different language. <laughs> half of it was in Latin, and the other half of the service, my brother had absolutely no idea what was going on, when you were supposed to stand up, when you were supposed to sit down, what the words actually meant, even though we're in English. He was completely lost and completely befuddled because the church was contextualized for like 17th century Spain and not 21st century Miami. So what does it mean to contextualize? It simply means that we want to speak in a way that people are going to understand us. That's what Paul does here in Acts 17. Remember, he's speaking in a non-Jewish context here, right? He's speaking to these learned philosophers who have never heard of the law of Moses. And so what he does is he approaches them by, in a way, adopting their own cultural assumptions. If you read through his sermon, he doesn't start by talking about the Old Testament, which is what he does when he speaks to Jews. Rather, Paul starts by talking about creation, He says, all these unknown gods here aren't the real God, but there's one God who made everything. And then he proceeds through in a very different way than he would if he was presenting the gospel to his Jewish brothers and sisters. He tells the story of the gospel in a way that interacts with the cultural assumptions of the people in which he finds himself. So very importantly, the content of the gospel doesn't change. The gospel stays the same But the way in which it's presented, the clothes that it's wearing, do change. So contextualization is to take the unchanging message of the gospel and teach it to a particular people in a particular time using particular strategies, languages, and cultural artifacts that will make it more accessible. Um, I think we'll understand this when you just think about this with me practically. In the context of, of foreign missions... What's the first thing someone who's being called to a foreign mission field is going to do? Anyone? Learn the language. That's pretty important, right? You need to know the language of the people to which you're going. Now let's apply that principle just to churches in the United States. Think about a church in urban Seattle and a church in rural Nebraska. Those churches are going to look pretty different, right? Because urban Seattle... And rural Nebraska are very, very different places. Now let's take it down to Texas, our wonderful state. A church in suburban Houston is going to look a lot different from a church in downtown El Paso. A church in Amarillo is going to look a lot different from a church in Brownsville because those are very different contexts. Let's just hone it into San Antonio. A church on the south side literally is going to have a different language than a church on the north side, a church here, because they're different contexts. So what does it mean for us to be a church that contextualizes? Here's all it means. We want to be intentional about the church culture that we're creating, especially here in gathered worship. So a very important question that our leaders are asking, and that I would love for you to ask, is how can we make the gospel comprehensible and beautiful? Comprehensible and beautiful to the people of North San Antonio. And when we think about like the style of our service, When we think about the clothes that we wear, when we think about the music, you just need to know these aren't just like preferences that Luke has. 
although I do not like wearing a tie, and I'm not going to do it. Um, but I think that fits contextually, actually. We're not just doing this because it's the way we've always done it, because it's actually not. And we're also not doing it just because it's what Luke or the elders like. We're doing it because we thought about the best way to contextualize the message of the gospel for 21st century suburban San Antonio, Texas. Another example is just the needs we're trying to meet in our area. How does the gospel apply to the major issues of people living in your neighborhoods, parenting issues, divorce, materialism, over-busyness, loneliness? Those are the sorts of things we need to be thinking about. And let me tell you, friends, as a part of our church, you can help us and help me here. One of the most important things for you to do in mission is to learn about your area and listen to the people in your neighborhoods and in your workplaces. Think about it this way. If your entire block came to church today, if your entire block came to church today, would the context here be appropriate for them? That's not to say they're going to love everything that happens. And if they're not Christians, that's not to say that they're going to be radically converted on the spot, although that would be awesome. But it's to say that, hey, yeah, these people seem like my people, and I can understand what the pastor's talking about, and some things were kind of weird, but all in all, it makes sense. That's what we're after. That's what it means to contextualize. That's what a church on mission does, okay? Preaches the gospel, culturally engaged, contextualized. Last point, then we're done. Fourth, a missional church practices communal evangelism. So the gospel creates this countercultural community, through faith in Jesus, and that community is itself an evangelistic tool. That's one of the interesting and beautiful things about the Acts 2 passage that Tim read. If you'll look at that, um, these verses describe the life of the early church, right? The life of the early church is it's gathered and as they live together, and it says they loved one another, they worshiped together, they studied together, they sang together, they prayed together. They were in one another's homes, they were in one another's lives, and as a result, by the power of the Holy Spirit, verse 47, they had favor with all the people. And look what happens. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What we see here is that the practice of loving Christian community, the stuff we talked about last week, the practice of loving Christian community itself has a missional impact. That's so important. That's so crucial in our day. People have to see that Christianity really makes a positive and powerful difference in the way people treat each other. You know that modern people, not just modern people, all people throughout history, need to see that these things we say we believe make an actual difference in the way we treat one another. Leslie Newbigin again said that the Christian community is the hermeneutic of the gospel. Now, that word hermeneutic is just a theological, technical term referring to how one interprets the Bible. So Newbigin is saying that the best interpretation that non-Christians have of Christianity is the church. It's the community of faith. And so we want to be a place that is missional in the sense that those who are skeptical of Christianity and those who don't agree with Christianity interact with our people and make friends in our community and experience something different and attractive in the way that we love one another. They, they will see that our, friendship, our friendships aren't like other friendships. We give generously to each other without expecting something in return. We don't betray and gossip about each other. We don't fake it. Right? But we live real life together and still love one another. 
Tim Keller writes, a missional church knows how to welcome doubters and graciously include them as much as possible in community so they can see the gospel fleshed out in life and process the gospel message through numerous personal interactions. Let me just wrap this up. Our philosophy of evangelism is centered around this idea. And I want you to understand, if you grew up around evangelical churches, how different this is from probably the kind of evangelism you were taught. Presentation evangelism, which isn't all bad, but here's basically the process, right? Here's how presentation evangelism's method goes. Gospel information is presented to a stranger. And most of us never get there because we don't like talking to strangers and knocking on their door and having an awkward conversation about religion. And you know what? That's not very fun. It's not very likable. There's a reason none of you want to do that is because who would want to do that? That doesn't sound very appealing, okay? But that's how presentation evangelism starts, okay? Gospel information presented to a stranger and then the hearer is called to make a decision about Jesus. And then if an affirmative decision is made, the person's welcome to the church and then friendship is extended to that person. And then the person who's been converted is trained for service and ministry and makes new Christian friends. That's traditional sort of presentation evangelism. Communal evangelism has a different process. Here's what it is. First, a genuine friendship between a Christian and a non-Christian is built. With no agenda. This person is not like, they're a person like you, made in God's image. They're not like our spiritual projects. So that we can think, gosh, I did evangelism today. Good for, good for me. No, they're just people. They're people who need friendship and community and love. So we develop relationships with them. And then the non-Christian sees authentic faith and ministry lived openly and participates in it. And then the gospel is naturally presented in word and deed within the friendship. And then the non-Christian's conversion to Jesus follows his or her conversion to Christian community and Christian friendships and the church. And then the church celebrates the conversion of their friend. Now, practically, this means that there's always going to be among us People that don't agree with what we're saying about Christianity. That's been the case since this church started. But who are engaged in relationships and friendships through community groups and through worship and through just building relationships. That, that should be the norm among us. That's the point of these block parties, by the way. The one yesterday and the one Saturday is just another way we're trying to help you engage in non-Christian friendships and make relationships and hang out with people. So that through Christian community, they'll see that there is actually something different about those who claim to follow Jesus. And you know, virtually every genuine conversion I've ever seen in 15 years of pastoral ministry and growing up as a Christian came from exactly that sort of format. Virtually every genuine conversion comes from people seeing the radical nature of Christian community and saying, I want to be a part of that. And then believing the message of Jesus in that context. That's what we want to be about. That's what we believe God has called us to do. That's a part of what our smell should be like here. That we would meld our non-Christian and Christian relationships in natural and fun ways. There's a lot more to say about the missional church, but let me just encourage you and call you to that sort of commitment. To not think of evangelism as an extra thing that you need to add to your already really busy life. But to think of evangelism as the Holy Spirit using where you already are in life to engage people in friendship and in relationships with the gospel. It requires an extra level of spiritual intentionality and prayerfulness 
which we think is what God has called us to here. So may that more and more be the case among us. Okay, let's pray.